0: May 1948, the Israeli army perpetrated a massacre, a war crime that escaped many, but not all, known histories of the Nakba. An article came out recently in Haaretz stating there is a mass Palestinian grave at a popular Israeli beach, veterans confess. On camera, many of these terrorists tell a disturbing story, participated in the massacre, and the Israeli government covered up.
1: The book, The Palestinian Right of Return Under International Law, includes a first-hand account. Soldiers started searching the women and children and infants. They took all the jewelries and money. They drove them into trucks in the prisoner of war camp. He forgot his name. They called him at the time, prisoner of war number 3310. The people who were killed were put into mass graves that Palestinians themselves had to dig and then cover up. There's no doubt that there was a massacre in Tantora because people like Mr. Jaudat Hindi lived it. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world, we bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gaza Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host Mikey B.
0: What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael schertzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you claim to be indigenous to the Fertile Crescent, but you get skin cancer from gardening.
1: Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you hang out with us on YouTube, if you're listening on a podcast app, please subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. If you want to get involved in the conversation, feel free to reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at Palestine Pod or follow us on Twitter where we rarely tweet at Palestine Pod. If you check out our website as well, you will see that we have added a new t shirt page. We are selling limited edition Palestine Pod t shirts in collaboration with our friend Samed over at Palestinian Hustle.
0: We have a limited supply left. Get yeah. them while they're hot. Get and thank you so hot. much. Thank you so much to everybody who has already bought a t shirt.
1: Yes, we love you all. Check us out on our Patreon. We've got our Patreon pod still going very strong. And our monthly Zoom happy hours. You can find us at patreon.com slash Palestine.
0: I think we should start with the story of Tantura, right? Mm-hmm. In the 1990s, when Professor mm-hmm. Ilan Pape was teaching at the University of Haifa, his most popular class was the Nekba, right? Which Zionists actually pressured the university to change the name to, quote, the history and historiography of 1948. The main assignment was he asked students to research what had happened in 1948 in the places Mm. where they were born, lived, grew up, whatever. Professor Pape describes, quote, one extraordinary student by the name of Theodore Katz. Professor Pape said about him, he was older than me, the ultimate kibbutznik, who wore shorts even on the coldest days of the year. The thesis revealed through documents and interviews with former soldiers and Palestinians that in May 1948, the Israeli army perpetrated a massacre in the village of Tantura, a prosperous fishing village south of Haifa. A war crime that escaped many, but not all, known histories of the Nekba at the time. Katz amassed more than 140 hours of tape interviewing witnesses and survivors of Tantura. He had documents and testimonies showing that between 200 to 300 villagers were either shot in cold blood and or killed by angry Israeli terrorists who rampaged through the village. The executions were graphically described by Jewish witnesses and Palestinian witnesses, and alluded to in documents, which also described mass graves where today there is a parking lot for the kibbutz built on the ruins of Tantura. An article came out recently in Haaretz stating there is a mass Palestinian grave at a popular Israeli beach, veterans confess. Even though the veterans said it, Haaretz still reluctant to report it. After a journalist found Katz's thesis interesting, That journalist published the findings, and veterans associated with the massacre and a lawyer closely connected to the university went to court, denied the evidence, and sued Katz for libel. Under pressure from Katz's family and after a scary experience during his first day in court, Katz was convinced to write a Stalinist confession of willful fabrication That he had lied about Tintura, basically. He regretted that for the rest of his life. The court forced Katz to pay the expenses of the prosecution, and he became a pariah within his own kibbutz. The university demanded he write a new thesis, which he did. He wrote, adding even more solid proof about the massacre, and his thesis was removed from the library. Amid all of this stress, he suffered two strokes, and today, this once energetic historian is a shell of his former self. I found video testimony from the upcoming film, Tantura, directed by Israeli documentarian Alon Schwartz. On camera, many of these terrorists tell a disturbing story that they had participated in the massacre, one the Israeli government subsequently covered up. In the video, one of the terrorists says, and I quote, of course we killed them with no qualms at all.
1: Trigger warning, sexual assault, skip ahead if you don't want to hear.
0: The Israeli terrorist involved in the massacre of Tentura described one man in particular named Moshe Barbalat, Who, according to his fellow terrorists, quote, went ballistic. He wanted to rape a 16 year old girl from the village. Her uncle stepped up to stop him and was immediately shot in the head. The girl was described by a Palestinian witness as returning half alive. Either during or after the rape, Moshe was caught, beaten, and sent out of the house. As he exited the house, he threw a grenade inside, killing and injuring many of the Palestinians that were there. Some of his fellow terrorists laugh about it as they reminisce. They say about Moshe that he was a fighter who was maybe just a little bit mischievous. The Israeli terrorists were given the directive to, quote, destroy the enemy like vermin. This is the exact same rhetoric used by the Nazis against Jews just a few years before. The cartoon image of Jews portrayed as rats being gassed by a Nazi comes to mind. The title of the cartoon was When the Vermin Are Dead. One Israeli terrorist says of the massacre, they went wild in Tentura. It was awful. Tentura was a rich village, beautiful houses. They were living like Europeans. Professor Pape said on facebook in 2007 with the insistence of the ministry of education i had to resign from my position at haifa university despite the fact that i had tenure one of my crimes was insisting that there was a massacre at the village of tantura in 1948 as was exposed by my student teddy Katz. i did my own research and categorically stated that this was one of the worst crimes committed by the israeli army in 1948 even after Katz, under immense pressure and intimidation retracted his findings. I am not sorry for a moment and am grateful that I was able to continue the struggle against the Nakba Denial at the University of Exeter in the last 15 years. And I still hope to establish in London a center against Nakba Denial. I bring this up now since today Haaretz, in its headlines in Hebrew, but I'm sure the English edition will be out tomorrow, finally admitted that there was a massacre. The paper ridiculed at the time my findings and presented me at best as unprofessional and at worst as a lunatic. Immediately following the film Tantura's Sundance premiere, various groups began to demand the government of the occupation investigate the claims that were made the pa says that an international commission should be formed to further probe the claims in the film so another strongly worded letter from them to my surprise the hollywood reporter did a review of the film written by jordan minzer who says and i quote the surviving veterans in the documentary all more or less deny that the massacre took place And given that most of them are in their 90s, it's possible that some have indeed forgotten by now. End quote. And what's crazy is how candidly the Israeli terrorists actually tell the truth about the massacre. Like, what movie did this guy watch? It's Mm. such a wild distortion of interviews to say that they more or less deny. That'd be like saying the majority of scientists more or less deny oxygen.
1: There's actually a book by... Professor Francis Boyle from the University of Illinois, who's a professor of international law, where he includes the transcript of a survivor of the Tantura massacre, describing what took place during the massacre. Of course, he was a child when it took place. But he describes what happened to his family and other villagers as well at the hands of the Zionist gangs who came in and, and used brute force and violence against the villagers and carried out the massacre and expelled the rest. And I would love to read from it because it's a firsthand account. I have the books. The book, The Palestinian Right of Return Under International Law, includes in it a transcript of a speech that was given by a Palestinian by the name of Mr. Jaudat Hindi. The speech was given in Washington DC on March 3rd, 2000 at the Council for Palestinian Restitution and Reparation news conference. And Mr. Hindi was actually born in Tantura. And in this speech, he recounts the, the massacre that took place in this village, but also his family's history and where he comes from and their story. I was born in Tantura. Tantura is a small village 24 kilometers south of uh, Haifa, a coastal village, with inhabitants not more than 2,000. He was born in 1926. He says that the people lived happily and with good relations with their neighbors, and that in April 1948, Haifa was occupied by the Zionists, and all of the people of Palestine, and especially the places that were not far from Haifa, tried to figure out something, a solution to the situation. He says that the people of my village decided to keep good relations with their neighbors, but at the same time tried to protect themselves and to defend their village if they were attacked by Zionists. He recalls how on the 22nd and the 23rd of May, 1948, it was a normal day. Farmers went to their land, came back to their houses. He says that everybody went to bed and we were thinking nothing would happen to us. after midnight. And I speak of myself and my family. We walked upstairs after 12 midnight. There were explosions and the house was shaking. Showers of rapid fire and so many things. We didn't know what to do. We rushed out of the house. We met our neighbors coming this way and that way and we were talking. Everybody was concerned about the 30 young men who were guarding us in in the village of Tantura because the village at that time had only 30 rifles and 30 men where every night escorting us and protecting us. And we thought ourselves in our homes safe. He says that an old man advised us to go back to our houses and lock the door. We went, after one hour, the door was broken and soldiers rushed into our house, kicking with their boots, pointing their guns into our heads. All of us were scared. I being the oldest, Was very scared. They pushed us out of the house. We went and we found that our neighbors are coming this way and that way. We gathered in an open place and we waited there. The soldiers were laughing at us, hugging each other. All of a sudden, a family was coming out from the side and we suddenly heard shooting and we looked there and all the members of that family fell down, parents and children. Then the soldiers drove us. We went through roads and saw bodies here and there, killed people, men, children, women, and we were gathered at the seashore in front of a high building. They separated the women from men. They ordered us to sit down and to raise our hands over our heads and to not look up but look down. After 15 minutes, an officer came, and by signaling to us to raise our faces and look at him, he started pointing with his fingers, you, 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 and doing the same signal just to let them know to come out. Ten people were gathered and then he talked in his own language, and four soldiers came and pointed their guns to the backs of the 10 men, and they drove them away. Where, we didn't know. Another official came, and the same happened. 10 people were gathered, and four soldiers drove them back. The third time, the fourth time, I was called out, but they didn't call anybody else. Soldiers pushed me, and one said in broken Arabic, your home, your home. What I understood was they wanted to come to my home, so I led them there. When we reached our home, soldiers, there, eating, drinking, laughing. Two soldiers came into the house. They started searching every corner of the house. They found nothing. Then they drove me back. I encountered an officer who told me to sit down. I sat down, pointed a gun to my head. He wanted to kill me. He didn't. He kicked me with his boot and spat in my face. After one hour, soldiers started searching the women and children and infants. They took all the jewelries and money. They drove them into trucks into a nearby village called Furadis, a village which was occupied by Zionists. And the second day, or it might be the first week, I'm not sure, but not more than days, they took all the people, all the women and children into a border area to Quran City, the nearest town from a place. For the women, after one hour, they came also and drove us in trucks to the throne, Jacob. This is a nearby settlement eventually him and his family were taken to a deserted Palestinian village called Imhalet the houses were demolished he had to work for an entire week to make the prison where he was going to stay so they were now prisoners of war and he says what about those groups of people who were taken the 10 people who were taken by the four soldiers and so on and so on he says it turned out that the soldiers ordered eight of them to stand above a hole and they started shooting them and the eight fell into the same hole that they had dug. And then they ordered the two to go cover the bodies. And then they drove them back to where we were gathered just to tell us what happened. He says that in the prisoner of war camp where he stayed, he forgot his name. They called him at the time, prisoner of war number 3310. So he remembered his number in this prisoner of war camp. His family was taken from his house, gathered with all of the people of Tantura in the middle of the night. Several people were were taken away by soldiers. Later, he finds out that those people were mostly shot and killed by the Zionists with just a few of them left over so that they could come back and tell the rest of the villagers of Tantura that these massacres had taken place. The, The people who were killed were, put into mass graves that Palestinians themselves had to dig and then cover up. The villagers' houses in Tantura were taken by soldiers who were in there eating, laughing, drinking, all of this stuff. The soldiers also had taken all of the wealth, the riches, the jewelry, the money, the gold, whatever it may be, of the women, of the families of Tantura before they executed them and put them in the mass graves. As for the people of Tantura who were not killed, they ended up in prisoner of war camps that they themselves had to build. And that was the the case of Mr. Jawda Tindi. He was given a prisoner of war number 3310, which he remembers, but he had at the time forgotten his own name. There came a talk of exchange of prisoners with Jordan. And he says, why did they push us to Jordan as exchanging their prisoners? We are not Jordanians, but they pushed us to Jordan. Why didn't they let us go back to our homes, our mothers, our wives, our children? He says, as for Tentura, most of the refugees are still in camps in Syria. Me and my brother, when we went out direct, we went to Syria. And we found that we had an uncle who was in Lebanon, in Beirut. He was studying there. He became a physician. And then they ended up going to Beirut his family. He says, I lived for four months in Beirut, and then I worked in Kuwait, and eventually I came to the United States, and now I'm a United States citizen. But he's telling this entire story, and there are so many parts of it that are striking. It's a firsthand account. He lived this. This is what happened to him. This is what happened to his family. This is what happened to all the people in his village that he knew. Most of them were executed, and those that were not ended up as prisoners of war, and then eventually ended up in refugee camps, Palestinian refugee camps. There's no doubt that there was a massacre in Tentura because people like Mr. Jagat Hindi know the people who lived in his village, and he knows who was killed. There's a lot of eyewitness accounts from the Nakba. There's a lot of books that that contain these eyewitness accounts. There's a book I'm thinking of in particular called "The Oral History of the Nakba," and that's what all of this is rooted in: is the fact that there were people, there are eyewitnesses, there are people who lived this, people who can tell you who was killed because they're loved ones, they're their neighbors, they're people that they used to work with. And to say that or to, to try to doubt that because the value of an eyewitness account is supposed to be like suspect or biased or whatever it may be is ridiculous. We don't do this with anything else. We accept eyewitness account. If you're there, you're there. i mean, closest to the situation you can be. That is the basis of fact. I saw this and and it's corroborated by X amount of people who were also there and who also saw this. I mean, they Goldstone reported him. Remember the Goldstone report? He comes out and he says, oh yeah, there were, you know, with the the UN inquiry into the, the, the crimes that took place in Gaza, Goldstone was like, yeah, Israel committed a bunch of crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity. And Judge Goldstone was one of the most respected judges in the entire world. And he also happened to be Jewish, and Israel was like, "Oh, we can't have that." So they basically made his life hell until he issued a retraction and once he issued the retraction came a shell of a person was just all downhill for him since then, ruined his life, ruined his reputation, ruined everything and Now you don't hear about him anymore, and I don't know what he's doing these days. That is the story of the Goldstone Report, which you know was what in two thousand and nine when it came out, you know you see Zionists. Using the same techniques over and over and over again.
0: There are Zionists who were not born before 9 11 who are like, I don't believe the first hand account of what happened in Tantura. It's like, you're seven. Like, why are you even on the internet? Like,
1: <laughs> right.
0: What really struck me about that story is the fact that the soldiers separated the men and women, they mm-hmm. stole all of the Belongings, right? Mm -hmm. And then assigned people a number. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say, a few years before, someone was doing that to Jews, right? They were the Nazis. It's the exact same strategy. And there are a lot of Jews who are like uncomfortable when you point out similarities between what the Nazis did and what the Zionists did. But We do an injustice to the people who were killed in either situation by not calling it what it is, right? The greatest deception that the Zionists ever perpetrated is by making it off limits to talk about the similarities between Zionism and Nazism. You can't assign people a number and not expect me to make the connection. You can't rip people from their houses and steal their jewelry and not expect me to remember the stories that I was told growing up. You cannot mm-hmm. murder people in cold blood, having them dug their own graves, and not expect me to connect the dots. It's triggering on so many levels.
1: Yeah, and you know it's crazy. I read this like a couple of years ago, and. When you said Tantura, and we didn't even plan this. When you said Tantura, I was like, hold on, I got to go get this book because I still remember reading this account of, of this individual, Mr. Jaudat Hindi, who you know, comes from Tantura and lived all of this. And so it's like, if you have a problem with us making these connections, then the only thing I have to say to you is that there is a man out there. His name is Mr. Jaudat Hindi. He came from Tantura and he spent part of his life in a prisoner of war camp that was created by Zionists who attributed him a prisoner number. Like that's just his life. That's his life. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem accepting facts. Reality. Problem, yeah, it's reality. This, this is his reality. And yeah. this is a reality of the people who were in the camp with him. And this is a reality of his neighbors were executed and thrown into mass graves
0: and if you don't like listening to palestinians there are holocaust survivors who will tell you it's the same thing and if you don't like listening to palestinians which many people don't right because palestinians have been talking about the massacres for years now you can listen to the perpetrators of the massacres there are israeli terrorists who are laughing about the fact that they were murderers right? It's like what yeah. do what does it take for somebody to accept reality when you have yeah. both the perpetrator and the victims describing the exact same story at what point are you devoid of reality
1: yeah it reminds me of the 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 tweet that I saw that's like Zionists will say they did like the Nakba didn't happen, but then promise to commit a second one. You know, yeah. And that's exactly what we saw in May. Was like we saw these rallies and occupied Jerusalem with these like very extreme Zionists that were out there. Like, oh, we're going to give you a second Nakba, and then like these are the same people that will tell you like, oh, there was no Nakba. There's no Palestinians. It's not real. All of it's fake. These are you know it's like right here but okay but
0: it's not just may right it's happening every single day in Sheikh jarrah right yeah. now there are i wouldn't even say they're extreme zionists they're just zionists like they are yeah, right regular yeah, 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 for sure. run-of-the-mill <laughs> zionists who yeah, are yeah, just yeah. like all arabs should die
1: the reason i say extreme is because like there's like a notion of like outward violence whereas like that you can have like the zionists who are like no, like trying to tell you that it's not about that right the ones that'll try yeah whatever yeah sure but like it is about that always even if when i hear like
0: liberal zionist i'm like okay what is that like biodegradable bullets like what are we even talking about you know yeah
1: that's it (laughs) that's exactly the
0: jnf plants a tree with everyone they kill like what are you talking about
1: yeah what does that even mean you know Exactly. It's like a fair trade Zionist. Humanely
0: slaughtered Palestinians.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I think we can actually move on to talk about what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah right now, right? It's continued to be the epicenter of a lot of the occupation's outward violent ethnic cleansing and aggressions. Mm -hmm. Even so far as to go to the Ambassador Hotel in Sheikh Jarrah, Mm. where a gathering of Palestinian businessmen convened by a Palestinian bank, the Israeli police, with the approval of the minister of internal security, raided the venue, right? And then we also saw the Salhiya family, who did their absolute best to resist the occupation, demolishing their home. They engaged in a multi-day standoff with the Israeli terrorists, the patriarch of the family taking a gas canister on top of his home and threatening to burn the place to the ground. Ultimately, the Israeli occupation forces raided the Salhiya home in the middle of the night, as they like to do, brutalizing everybody in the house, man, woman, and child. The Zionist terrorists then demolished the family's home, making them refugees for a second time. They had lived in that house since 1948, when they were made refugees the first time. Amal Salhiya, the sister of Mahmoud Salhiya, whose home was demolished, in Sheikh Jarrah said, quote, All our memories, the childhood of the children, in only one night, everything gone. There is no bed left, no wardrobe. There is nothing left for my kids. Everything was removed. The occupation forces attacked us in the mid of night, beat us, and tortured the children mm-hmm. when their father abused him. They took the kids and tortured them. Their father was watching when they tied them up. They did not do anything. They were defending their home, their memories, their rights, and their existence. They erased everything. They destroyed the house. They said they would put all my belongings in boxes and instead they destroyed them with a bulldozer. They destroyed everything and left us with nothing. The Israeli central court then rejected discussing the case of the Salhiya home under the pretext that the home was already demolished and the land was confiscated. You
1: know, it's crazy. The New York Times reported on this particular demolition and expulsion by saying that Israel evicts Palestinians in Flashpoint area of East Jerusalem. They use the term eviction again. We've been telling them it's not an eviction for months now. Like we have, they've gotten the message and they continue to use the wrong language when they are reporting on the issue of ethnic cleansing and forced expulsion, it's not an eviction. It's not a real estate dispute. These are not tenants who have not paid their rent and their landlord is coming to evict them. This is fundamentally the wrong word and you are sanitizing crimes. You are sanitizing human rights violations of the most grave kind. These people are watching their homes be demolished by an occupying army. This is completely illegal and immoral. And you are participating in that, New York Times, by your very faulty reporting when you say that Israel evicts another family. But okay, that's fine. Let's go into the meat of the article. The evictions on Wednesday of the Salahiyah family were at least the 10th instance of eviction or demolition of Palestinian homes in East Jerusalem since the start of the year, and one of more than 1,000 evictions or demolitions since the start of 2016, according to the United Nations. So just according to the UN, we have over 1,000 demolitions since the start of 2016 of Palestinian homes by the occupying army. That being said, in the next paragraph, the New York Times tells us that most evictions go unreported. So most Palestinians that are kicked out of their homes by apartheid Israel are not even able to bring the story to light because most of these quote unquote evictions, which are not evictions or demolitions, are taking place without being reported on. So these thousand that we know about in since the beginning of 2016, those are the ones that we know about. But most of them we don't know about. So just try to wrap your head around how many Palestinians then are being on a systemic basis kicked out of their homes, having their homes demolished by the occupying army, which is then taking that land and using it, repurposing it to build either homes or public areas or other structures for Zionists. Like that is what is happening. They are taking Palestinians land and they are repurposing it for use by the state of Israel. That is clear ethnic cleansing. That is clearly part of Judaization of Jerusalem, of all of Palestine. They're rewriting history, creating facts on the ground that basically suggests that Palestinians were never there, this entire area was always Israel and it was always for you know these Jewish immigrants that come from all over the world and that there was nothing else here that's what this is all part of that's the bigger picture at play here so I just really thought it was interesting that they say there's more than a thousand demolitions since 2016 but the majority of them we don't even know about like that is a lot of houses that are being demolished and there's absolutely no recourse, absolutely nothing that you can do. Your house has been demolished. What do you do? You can't do anything. Where do you go? Yeah. Who knows? Most evictions go unreported, but cases in Sheikh Sharrah attract special attention because of the role that the district played in the buildup to last year's war.
0: They are in cahoots with yeah. the occupation. Yeah. It's not even a matter of like they're sanitizing it, they're wor- like they are righting it. The yeah. f- the history of yes. occupation from the yes. perspective of the occupier.
1: Yes, exactly. They also say unsuccessful efforts to evict six of the Palestinian families in May 2021 generated an unusually strong reaction from Palestinians and were among the reasons cited by Hamas to justify firing rockets that started last year. Before. First of all, you're starting. The reference to starting the war you're starting the the clock at the wrong time. The clock does not start running last 2021 year, okay? isn't
0: the first time. No. Oh, no, okay. it's not.
1: It's Weird. it's the Nakba and 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 the instances of ethnic cleansing and land theft that even precedes the Nakba. That's No, I'm all. pretty second sure all, that
0: that the whole thing with Palestine started with Muhammad el kurd I'm almost yeah, positive.
1: Right. So, second of all, what's really interesting is they say an unusually strong reaction, hold on, unsuccessful efforts to evict six of the Palestinian families in May 2021, generated an unusually strong reaction from Palestinians. What's so unusual about not being cool with the fact that you are being expelled from your home by The occupation yeah they're like they're like hey
0: usually we get to do genocide against the palestinians without so much as a peep from anyone but in this rare instance people seem to care like what do they care
1: i'm reading this and i'm like are you just showing all your cards now like are you just telling like is this satire now i don't understand like to say that it's unusual for palestinians to have a problem with being ethnically cleansed, with being forcibly expelled from their land. And then to be like, yeah, that was pretty unusual, you know? Wasn't that weird?
0: Wasn't that weird, guys, when the world rose up against the occupation?
1: Because they kick people out of their houses and demolish their homes and then just take them and then build theme parks on top of them or parking lots or whatever the fuck they're trying to build this time. And for the first
0: time time in many years, people listen to Palestinians. It's crazy to me. It's it's absolute madness. It's unusual. It is unusual. I mean... And they're like, and we really like the usual state of affairs. Yes. Well, we really like... Is when it happens in the dead of night and nobody yes. talks about... It. We really like the unreported demolitions, actually. Those yes. were our favorite. Yes. When you go because live that, yeah. on Instagram, then we got to get involved with our guys over at Instagram, have them block mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? Make your, Take your stream off live, like what happened to Muna it, It's mm-hmm. a, It's a little more work for us, right? We got to do a little more writing. And we don't like, we just like to get the press release and publish it. We don't love to write stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. You know, when you read these articles, it's it's also like, on the one hand, you have to ask yourself, what am I reading? And then on the other hand, you have to ask yourself, what are the they fuck not is saying? is wrong with these people? Like, what are they not saying that is implied by what they are saying? Yeah. And to call it unusual to have a strongly negative reaction to being expelled from your home in what constitutes a war crime, it just says a lot about what you think of Palestinians. You don't think that they're human. You don't think that they deserve to have homes. You don't think yeah. that they deserve to to live in, in homes that they have inhabited for for decades and decades and decades. You don't since
0: think the that last we're time they were that. expelled from their homes
1: exactly. You think that we should just sit there, be expelled and like do a debcat around the ruins of our home? I mean, is that what you think the usual response should be? I don't understand. Someone get back to me. This article was published and people had to okay it. And that's, you know, that's they, they true. Thought that was, yeah. Think
0: about you have a writer, right? You have yeah. a, an editor, you have a couple layers of people a lot who of layers. were all like, yeah, we should we should hit publish on this.
1: And then, you know, like then at, at the same time, they'll have they'll have some sentences where it's like, oh, OK, so so y'all do accept that this is a reality. Like the, they also say evictions and demolitions are a regular part of Palestinian life in East Jerusalem. Thank you.
0: What? What? I- it's regular. We're, we're back to the word regular. So, so then, it's irregular for people to notice that it's happening, but it is regular that it happens. Exactly. God, you, you, exactly. Hate the, you hate the irregularity of regularness, right?
1: If you have more than two brain cells and are reading this, then you're going to have a problem. It's, you're going to just be enraged, and then you're going to need to take out your rage.
0: Or if and you're the person who wrote it and you have no brain cells, you're like, this works <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right? Speaking of things that will cause you to go into a rage. This
1: one is horrible. And it just shows like the brutality of the occupation. I mean, the occupation is brutal. And In case you no- didn't
0: hear the rest of this episode.
1: In case you have no idea what we're talking about and you just happen to stumble upon us because you clicked shuffle. In case you're like
0: the New York Times and you think this started in 2021.
1: It's brutal. And it shows its brutality every day. But every once in a while, like things will slip through the cracks. People in the West, Western media will notice the brutality, right? You had a lot of headlines like Washington Post elderly palestinian american dies after being detained eight-year-old palestinian american man died wednesday after being detained by israeli forces
0: It's not a detention if you leave him dying in the street.
1: This particular case, he was returning from visiting relatives, was stopped in the village of Jiljiliya by Israeli soldiers, and witnesses saw that he was taken by them, and then they eventually later found him just like on the ground with no signs of life. Omar Abdelmajid al-Assad, he spent much of his adult life in Milwaukee. He moved back to the West Bank about a decade ago, and you know, you have your good old buddy, U.S. State Department spokesperson, Ned price just a spineless just jellyfish said that he had requested quote-unquote clarification from israel on the events surrounding said's death so basically he's like just clarify to us what you did just you know clarify it incidentally there are two very similar stories from
0: this week a 75 year old palestinian This is how the Jerusalem Post reported it, by the way. 75-year-old Palestinian has died of injuries received nearly two weeks ago when he was hit by a vehicle in the West Bank, the Palestinian health ministry said on Monday. So let's just just break that down, right? Because they say a 75-year-old Palestinian has died of injuries Mm -hmm. received nearly two weeks ago when he was hit by a vehicle. What do you call it when you run somebody over and they die? I I don't
1: know. What's that word?
0: Oh, yeah. You're the lawyer. That's murder. (laughs) That's called murder. And there's a ton of like There's so many words.
1: There's so many words here.
0: That are not murder, right? When it's like, that's the word you should use probably. And there are a ton of articles who are like, he like sustained injuries he succumbed to his pain even like Mondeweiss had some weird phrasing dude he was murdered
1: at least you can just say he was hit like they ran him over with a car like, yes there's a lot of ways to say it without being so shady as to say he died of injuries received as if like it was like a package he opened like Amazon's next
0: feature, you know, is yeah. like the drone that also has a Hellfire missile attached. Relative Hazem said that Suleiman was struck deliberately by the truck, which, quote, ran him over with its front and back wheels before driving away. So they killed him. They killed him with a car. They murdered a staple of the nonviolent Palestinian resistance with a car
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then they didn't check on him to be like you good they left him there dying murdered Israel's police spokesperson did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment so the Jerusalem Post didn't even reach out for comment they were just like well they didn't get back to Reuters so we should print that
1: right (laughs) right
0: and in a statement quoted by Israel's Haaretz newspaper on January 14th, police said Palestinians had thrown stones at the truck and police forces that accompanied it, making it impossible for them to stop and help a man who had climbed on the vehicle and fallen. So I don't know if you know about the structural integrity of cars, right? But they withstand rocks pretty well because if they didn't Palestine would be free already. If rocks was all it took to take out a military vehicle, we'd have a couple Palestines by now. Stones. Uh, it's like, have you ever played rock, paper, scissors? It's like, obviously rock wins against the truck. And they're also saying that this 75-year-old man climbed on the vehicle.
1: But eyewitnesses are saying that they just ran this guy over who... Yeah.
0: They don't say that he climbed on the vehicle. How many people in their seventies do you know that are actively climbing? Not, Not a whole ton. Lot. Right? So it's you know like, what the,
1: yeah, you know what the weird part about like the weirdest part about this story, again, there's a good the amount second, that's weird. Weird. This is a second instance of somebody who's elderly over the age of seventy being murdered by Israel in like in the, the last same, few weeks in those span of like a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So you have the one guy who was like held up at this checkpoint and then they just people found him dead with his face down in the ground. And you have this other guy who's a Palestinian villager, who's like a staple in activism, who has resisted settlement expansion. And he was killed by this truck of the occupation. But the weirdest part is like, what the hell this truck was even doing in his village anyway? This truck had been sent to his village to confiscate unlicensed cars. And you're like, what does that even mean? So the villagers say that vehicles... Yeah that police had sought to tow away were bought from Israelis at low cost after they failed to pass an annual roadworthiness inspection in Israel. So basically Israelis are selling their broke ass cars to Palestinians who are buying them because of obviously desperate need, because why else would you buy a car that doesn't even pass like road safety tests? And then the occupation army is sending its, like weird, I don't know, car like
0: repo tow trucks.
1: Repo like police to like go into these villages, find these cars and then take them. But in the process, they like run over and kill uh an elderly Palestinian man. And there's going to be absolutely no repercussions for this killing. there be the killing of eighty year old ahmed Abdelmajid Assad who was killed in the village of Jiljiliyah, or the killing of this 75-year-old Palestinian villager and activist, Suleiman Al-Hathalin. There's a common thread here, and that is you have a state using extreme violence against an occupied people, people that it is occupying, and there's absolutely no repercussions for the violence that it exerts against those people, even if it leads to their killing. And it doesn't even matter if they're palestinian or if they're palestinian american because even if they're they happen to have the blue passport that says that they're also you know perhaps worthy of life the u.s won't do much more than ask for a clarification that's the situation if you're palestinian
0: you know things are bad when even the adl is sending messages over to the occupations government like hey This whole settler terrorism thing you got going on, it's actually making it hard for us to do our jobs here. We can't sell this pipe dream of, you know, it's a democratic society if you all are literally terrorizing people, running over old men and just burning like olive trees for fun. Like it's hard for us to tell the lie if you all keep acting the truth.
1: (laughs) The ADL say.
0: A letter signed by a total of seven organizations was addressed to Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, as well as Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and Defense Minister Benny Mm Gantz, calling on Israel's top leaders to take quote, unequivocal action to stop quote, ongoing terrorism and political violence committed by Jewish-Israeli extremists in the West Bank. ...against Palestinians, Israeli civilians, and IDF soldiers. Because in addition to fucking up Palestinians, destroying their property, murdering them, the terrorists in the West Bank and all over occupied Palestine are also right. targeting israeli leftists and on occasion idf soldiers right we have covered i know it's
1: so weird we've covered that like they'll yes. attack the soldiers and the soldiers will be like hey okay, stop it we can't yeah we can't do anything to you know it. how we it have is all these weapons but we can't do anything because we're instructed not to do anything because yeah you guys run everything like
0: So the quote from the letter says, "We urge the entire Israeli government to unite in a strong condemnation against these acts, to work decisively to hold those responsible accountable and to confront the growing threat posed by these extremists with the determination and seriousness that this grave situation requires." This is a letter that was signed by the Anti-Defamation League as well as The Central Conference of American Rabbis, the Israeli Policy Forum, the National Council of Jewish Women, the Rabbinical Assembly, the Union for Reform Judaism, and the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism. So I don't know what
1: any of the other organizations are, but the fact that the ADL signed this
0: truly mind blowing. It, It shows you how bad things have gotten that even the propaganda machine, the one who is committed to actual violence in the United States on behalf of Israel is like, you guys got to cool it, right? You're
1: you guys got you to calm far. down. Yeah, you're wilding out and we need to reel it back in because yeah. if we hey. don't, we're going to lose.
0: Hey, the whole informational warfare battle we've got going on, you guys are fucking that up when you do too much terrorism.
1: Just do a little bit of terrorism.
0: Just a, just a tad of terrorism.
1: Right. Keep it in check. Like instead of murdering two elderly men in two weeks.
0: Just one.
1: Just just the one.
0: You know what's interesting? They actually don't care about those stories. Those didn't come up. What came up is how Israeli leftists are being attacked for collaborating with Palestinians as well as Mm. IDF soldiers. So they're like, hey, these guys over there are attacking our own people. We We can't have that fucking right. you can kill the palestinians obviously it's only it's irregular when people notice that but when right. you start attacking jews who care about palate, that's not as palatable for us right. to deal right. with
1: right didn't the letters say palestinians though also
0: it did say palestinians but it included israeli activists and idf soldiers so there was two mentions of israelis and only one mention of Palestinians.
1: Right. Even though the majority of the violence is being carried out against Palestinians and has been
0: forever. Like, hey, Hey. you can't attack our own people because it also came on the heels of the story where two Israeli soldiers murdered by the Israeli military in what was a friendly fire incident where they mistook the soldiers for Palestinians. Right. So it's it's all of those things bubbling up to a point where they were like, hey guys, we're getting a lot of phone calls and we'd love it if you just did things a little more silently. I just
1: wanted to give an update on Burnett's brother's situation. So I know that we've mentioned that Abdul Khaliq Burnett, the older brother, was released after spending months being held by Israel with no charge and, you know, after being beaten up and interrogated and basically um, tortured he was tortured yeah sorry sorry interrogated tortured what have you um and people have been asking me about his brother muhammad burnat the younger of the brothers are there any updates on him and and how he how is he doing he is still being held by israel without any charge They have not brought charges against him. They have not announced a court date against him. They keep actually saying that they're going to postpone the court date that he would go before the military court. And he continues to be held for absolutely no reason. He is now entering his ninth month of being held by the occupation without trial. And the prosecution in this case is. Again, it's like a case, but there is no case because they've brought no charges against him. But there's still prosecution that is calling for holding him for many years, even though they have brought no evidence against him and certainly have not convicted him of anything.
0: Their plan is to hold him long enough until he's old enough to run over with a truck. But speaking of taking action in the heat of the night we've been killing it with transitions on this one (laughs) got a update from palestine action on their campaign to shut down elbit systems there have been a lot of wins and updates from palestine action so let's talk about that the Mm -hmm. uk activist collective is effectively spearheading the civil Mm -hmm. disobedience space and racking up numerous wins for BDS. The following excerpt is from Plus Nine Seven Two Magazine. Earlier this month, we at Palestine Action received thrilling news. Israel's largest arms company, Elbit Systems, announced that it had decided to sell its weapons factory in Oldham, a town in no- the north of England and leave the area for good. Through 18 months of sustained direct action, and with the unwavering support of the local community, a Shut Elbit Down campaign made it intolerable for the Israeli arms factory to continue operating on our doorstep. It is a welcome victory for all those who have worked tirelessly to campaign for the rights of Palestinians, and crucially, For the Palestinian people themselves. And it doesn't stop there. In addition to the disruptions in Oldham, Mm -hmm. Palestine Action members occupied and defaced the landlords of Israeli arms factory in Shenstone, a village in England about three hours north of London. They stay busy over at Palestine Action because they were back up on that roof in shenstone for the second time recently palestine action members disrupted the arms factory in shenstone and were arrested by the uk police after demolishing a part of their factory Mm -hmm. after a brief stint in police lockup they are all released from custody on the 19th and 21st january 2022 the activist faced trial in birmingham magistrates court Palestine Action later reported that the case against the three Palestine Action activists was thrown out by the judge in another crushing embarrassment for Elbit Systems. The activists who occupied offices of Elbit Systems, Shenstone's murder factory, will walk away scot free. This marks yet another court victory over Elbit in Palestine Action's second ever trial. We spoke to Max about the strategy of seeing this death dealer in court and demanding discovery. They will inevitably drop charges or get the claims thrown out when they refuse to provide documents stating how much money they make for doing corporate murder and the plethora of psychopaths that make up their clientele. During the arrest of these activists, the UK police deployed armed forces, a very rare occurrence in the UK, in an attempt to intimidate the activists. They said on their Instagram, Palestine Action, Israel's weapons trade is key to the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. And it starts on British soil. If you demolish Palestinians' homes, we'll demolish your weapons factories. We're stopping the Israeli war machine in its tracks. And to me, this is the most potent way that people can make a difference. This is the way forward, right? The blueprint is available. Get involved in direct actions near you. If you're not able to get involved and you're scared to pick up a sledgehammer, donate if you can't donate spread the message you can post about it you can educate not everybody has to do everything but everyone has to do something
1: right and it's crazy like they have won every single lawsuit that has been brought against them every single case they've won elbert has won nothing and the state has failed to prosecute even a single individual, a single activist that has participated. And this just goes to show that when this goes to court, these individuals are are basically saying, like Max said, he's like, we want to go to court. We want to be able to have to go to the merits and to fight about whether or not our, our actions are legitimate. It's just that it's not in their interest to go to court and they keep losing. So you know, we're going to keep doing this. And I think it's just really great momentum for these Palestine action activists to see that every time they go out there, the cases against them are being thrown out. It's super energizing. And it just gives me like, you know, it's, it's some good news in in a sea of shit news, you know,
0: it got me fired up. I saw that they demolished a part of the facility. They they demolished a part of the facility with sledgehammers. Like they broke in and I was hyped so much respect to these activists who are putting their body on the line it's so invigorating and it energizes people who understandably feel hopeless. right because we just did a full hour of hopeless news and so if you get tired if you feel like it's overwhelming you're not alone right everybody feels that way and the only way that you will feel invigorated the only way that you will feel inspired And, you know, motivated to keep going is by showing up to these direct actions. Like Max Eh, said, direct action is the only way or spreading the message about them, right? Be a part in some way.
1: Yeah. And like really taking in these small victories when they do happen, because it's going to be the accumulation of a bunch of small victories that is going to lead to liberation in Palestine.
0: If we can disrupt the supply chain, yeah. they're nothing without their support. They're armed to the teeth and they lose fights to children all the time. If we can disrupt their supply chain, they're gone. And that's how we're going to end I, it.
1: Yes, let's end it on, on that a very strong note.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Palestine Pod. We so appreciate your support. Check out all of our sources, which will be up on the website shortly, www.palestinepod.com. Check us out on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And please subscribe to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of The Palestine Pod. Hope you have a great day. See
1: you next time. Hi.
0: Howdy you know philo
1: is in daycare right now that has all of the rooms hooked up to this video system you can download the app see what your dog is doing at daycare
0: you got a pegasus app for your dog
1: yeah. <laughs> he's what he's one of those dogs
0: this is how israelis do surveillance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: they're
0: like one of those palestinians is uh <laughs> let me check blue wolf real quick which one i'm (laughs) looking for they all look the same (laughs) oh you mean we beat up and killed an arab jew oh dang Dang. we thought he was palestinian we shot at our own people we thought they were palestinians
1: that's why you never say sorry when you get into a car accident
0: yeah that's something that canadians have a problem with because they both say
1: sorry